Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. He could be forgiven for feeling like an utter failure. But there's no hint of that here. Do you remember the Old Testament story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine and as a nation they were arrogant, rebellious and godless. In times of prosperity, they were defiant towards God. In times of adversity, they were hostile towards God. And yet, God showed them his mercy. Jeremiah had a message for the Philistines and there are parallels we can draw to our own experience. Join Dr. Corbett now for Waters Rising Out of the North. We're in Jeremiah. We're going to do a whole chapter of Jeremiah this morning. So please turn to Jeremiah chapter 47. It's Jeremiah 47. And, and we are in the final throes of Jeremiah. You might recall that the people have witnessed the Babylonians come in just as Jeremiah said they would. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar has taken away his appointed king, which was Zedekiah. Those that remained in the city, who the Babylonians didn't think were worth anything, they didn't particularly want, and those who had fled the city have come back to the city. And you might recall they said to Jeremiah, okay, you're obviously a prophet. Everything you said would happen has happened. <laughs> now what shall we do? And Jeremiah says, just remain in the city. God will look after you. Whatever you do, don't go down to Egypt. So they go down to Egypt. And here they are in Egypt. And initially in this phase, it looks like everything's going well. But when they arrive, Jeremiah says, you think you've come to safety. This is not the safe place for you. You will experience the very thing that God said would happen if you didn't trust him. And that's about to happen. And Jeremiah will die in Egypt in just a little while. In the meantime, and this is what I hope to convey to you, if you can understand that here's Jeremiah with all of this going on, and it would be, be easy, it'd be so easy to get down. <laughs> it would be so easy to look back over your life and ministry and think, Everything you asked me to do, God, I did it and it failed. You could forgive Jeremiah for thinking that. You could forgive Jeremiah for thinking, I, I pleaded with these people to repent and they didn't. In fact, they got worse. I pleaded with these people not to throw their young newborn babies, not out a window, but into a furnace as an offering to false gods. I pleaded with them not to do that. But they did it all the more. He could be forgiven for feeling like an utter failure. But there's no hint of that here. And I wonder if part of growing up in God is coming to realise that God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to obey. He calls us just to surrender, despite what people think, despite the accolades or lack of accolades, despite the applause or lack of applause, despite how people treat you. If you know you're doing the right thing before God and you can stand, as it says in Ephesians 6, having done everything you can do, stand. And this is Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah. He's standing. He's standing and now in the midst of all the prophecies that for him have been rejected and rejected for years, for 50 years he's been rejected. He now declares this, out of the north, 
waters will rise. Waters will rise out of the north. And if you know anything about the way the Bible uses language, and boy, this is important. Waters rising out of the north, it's, it's a picture of there's a flood water coming. It's a picture of trouble. And when you begin to understand that, rather than imposing our definitions of language into or onto scripture, we begin to appreciate that the Bible uses language in a very artistic way. And it wants us to take it literally, but here's what literally means. Literally as it's intended to be taken. Come with me now. We're Jeremiah chapter 47, verse 1. There's only a handful of verses in this whole chapter. And so we're going to pick up the gist of what we're seeing here. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning the Philistines before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. Now, if you're going to read this and ponder this verse, you should read this and go, Philistines, I know about the Philistines. We've been introduced to the Philistines. Who's the most famous Philistine that you know? Goliath, absolutely. Goliath of Gath, that that uh, very tall person, possibly eight foot something, very tall, a, a, a giant of a man who was the champion of the Philistines. So, and, and even just the fact that you know that, you know, okay, the Philistines have been a problem. They've been a problem for Israel, for nearly all of Israel's existence. They've been a problem. And, and here's where I think, but you know, there are other nations that were a problem for Israel. And the Philistines weren't the worst. By far, they weren't the worst. The worst was the Amalekites. And the whole book of Esther actually deals with the Amalekites. You might think it's about Esther, but it's actually about how God used this 17, 18-year-old girl to become a princess and a queen to deal with the Amalekites, a prophecy in Exodus 17. So the Amalekites were the worst. But the Philistines were constantly there, constantly niggling, constantly waging war. We, 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 we read through First and Second Samuel and we read that the Philistines were constantly doing war with Israel. So these guys are a problem. So we know that. That's, you know, if we just read that and we didn't know anything else, we'd, we'd at least know that. Here's the other thing that we should cause you to wonder. Before Pharaoh struck down Gaza, and maybe if you don't, maybe you should ask the question, is that described in the Bible, Pharaoh striking down Gaza, one of the major towns? I guess in those days they called it a city. We'd probably call it a town because it didn't have a post office. And because that was quick. And here, here is this reference to Pharaoh striking down Gaza, and I think, is that mentioned in, in the scriptures anywhere? No, it's actually not. It's not there. So, but his audience knew about it. His audience knew what he was talking about. So this must be a reasonably recent event. I presume very much in the lifetime of Jeremiah. And it must have been significant in that it would have inflicted some pain on the Philistines. All right. So what do we know from this verse? Just this verse, we know this. The Philistines had long been enemies of Israel. That's, we need to know that. They had been doing things to Israel, warring against them, killing their people, raiding their villages, taking, trying to take land from them. We read all about that during... King Saul and King David's reign. So now 
they are about to experience one of the universal laws that all of us are subject to, and it's this law of, of sowing and reaping. It's one of the most inescapable laws of the universe. What you sow, you'll reap. Just remember that. Uh, I, I remind my, my teenage children of this. You show me lip, you are sowing for when you're a parent. Sowing and reaping. Now, the Philistines, as with other surrounding nations, display certain traits that I think are in God's word so that we can learn something from it. And Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says this, Everything written in the Old Testament is written for our encouragement, instruction and inspiration. There's a lot that could be in the Old Testament and it's not there. There's a lot that very deliberately is. And this is one of them. And all of the other things that we read about the Philistines is there for a reason. What do we know about the Philistines? Well, I think the fact that you know Goliath, it, it sort of sums up where the Philistines were at. They were an arrogant people. Very arrogant. They defied God. When they took the Ark of the Covenant, as you might recall in 1 Samuel, it was so arrogant for them to do that and to treat God like that. So they were rebellious. They, there, was, there was never a point when they surrendered to God, unlike many people from surrounding nations actually converted to the God of Israel. The Philistines, by and large, didn't. They were arrogant, they were defiant, and they were rebellious. And at times, and this is why I think Australia is in so much deep trouble at the moment, is because for the last 20 years we have had unprecedented prosperity. It's hard, it's really hard for teenagers to appreciate that only two generations ago, there was national rationing of everything. And life was really different, really different. Now, if our internet speed... Oh, no, I won't go there. If our, <laughs> if our modern conveniences aren't there, oh, it's the end of the world for teenagers. But just a couple of generations ago... The, the threat for particularly people in Queensland and northern Tasmania, uh, northern Tasmania, northern Australia, was whether they would be bombed during the Second World War. So when a nation experiences prosperity and comfort, it's a really dangerous time because that often leads to a, a, a really horrible arrogance. And, and this is what the Philistines had experienced. During their times of prosperity, they were brazenly defiant of God and his people, brazenly. They were so arrogant. And yet, you would think, well, if that's how they treat God in times of prosperity, what about in times of adversity? Oh, well, in times of adversity, they were hostile toward God. You can't win. So in times of prosperity, they're just defiant. In times of Adversity, they're hostile toward God. And, and here's, I, I, want, I want you to understand this is what's, this is the people that Jeremiah is about to prophesy about. So, how do you think Jeremiah feels about these people? 
notice, notice this, the Philistines had recently suffered a very humiliating loss to Pharaoh's forces. So in the midst of their humiliation, and oftentimes, as we'll hopefully see, when you're praying for someone and you notice things go from bad to worse or good to bad, and you think, well, that's strange, I'm praying for them, and yet they seem to be having all these troubles happen in their life, sometimes it's the grace of God, and I want to make that point in a moment. But here's the Philistines. They've suffered this huge, humiliating defeat. What would that do to you? This is, what it, this is verse 1 that we just read. Before Pharaoh struck down Gaza. So here's the Philistines in a really vulnerable place. And here's how they arrogantly processed this. It was a glitch. Pharaoh got us when we weren't on guard. Pharaoh got us when we weren't ready. If he comes again, we'll smash him to bits. Huh. That's the arrogance of it. And I wonder if Jeremiah, and this is, I want you to, I want to perhaps look into the heart of Jeremiah here a bit, because he's no friend of the Philistines, and yet what we are going to see here in this chapter, these some eight verses, is remarkable compassion for the Philistines. And we get down to the second last verse, or so seven verses, and second last verse. Verse 6, ah, the sword of the Lord, how long till you are quiet? He's, he's actually feeling compassion for the Philistines. He's going, boy, you guys are meeting with some disasters now, and I wish it didn't happen to you. Hmm. So this is, this is really interesting, and I, I want to show you something and challenge you about something we see in the heart of Jeremiah. But I think something, God's done something in Jeremiah's heart here. And this is what, for all we read through the Psalms, of the many Psalmists who were praying imprecatory prayers, you know, where they're praying some of the most gruesome acts of violence on their enemies. That's an imprecatory prayer, an imprecatory psalm. This is not what Jeremiah's doing. And this is what I get from this, the Philistines have been defiant, rebellious, hostile, and arrogant toward God, and God has continued to reach out to them. What does that tell us about God? And today, I think it's a very similar story. There are arrogant, defiant, rebellious, hostile people with whom God also wants reconciliation he wants to reconcile them he wants peace with them and I hope that we begin to think about those people who are hostile and defiant and rebellious and arrogant in, in a little bit of a different light as a result of what we see here in this passage of scripture and, and the fact that God said of the Amalekites who attacked Israel just as they came out of Egypt, they're not armed, they don't have weapons, they have to grab sticks and stones and whatever they can to defend themselves. God said that was really low. 
And we read this in Exodus 17. He said, that is, that is evil, what you've done to my people. That is really evil. And because you've committed this gross act of evil, I, I vow, God says, that you will be wiped off the face of the earth because I cannot have your evil spread. That was Exodus 17. And in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul has the opportunity presented to him by God carry out that prophecy and destroy the Amalekites. And Saul doesn't do it. And not until a young Jewish girl by the name of Esther does it actually get fulfilled. So God could have said that to the Philistines as well, but he didn't. The fact that we've still got Philistines kicking about by Jeremiah 47 (laughs) says God has let them live. God has persisted with them. God has shown mercy to them. God has shown mercy to them. And my hunch is that this recent setback that they've experienced, the the loss of their town or their city, Gaza, was meant to cause them to go, we can't do this by ourselves. Maybe we're not as strong or well-resourced or well-equipped or powerful as we thought we actually were. Maybe what we've been hearing from Jeremiah is right. There is a God who created all peoples, not just Israel. He's not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all the earth, as Jeremiah declared. And he wants us to surrender to him. Maybe we should do that. That's probably what they should have done. And I actually think this is in the heart of Jeremiah. He doesn't hate these Philistines. He is experiencing God's mercy and compassion. And their recent troubles was meant to lead to something really positive. So God had been very merciful to the Philistines in times past. I mean, if you think about David slaying Goliath, that's all he did, really. He didn't go and wipe out all the Philistines. It was a battle and it was over. And as horrible as war is, That was kind of merciful. And sometimes we misinterpret God's mercy. We misinterpret God's kindness as as God doesn't care, doesn't mind. And Paul actually writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and he warns against that thinking. He actually says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So this is the danger. The danger is that we as followers of Christ get into sin, just a little sin, and and, and there's no lightning bolt. There's no imprecatory smiting. (laughs) And we think, got away with it. You know the easiest way to compromise? The easiest way to compromise is do it once. It makes the next one a whole lot easier. Especially when we understand God is actually really merciful. I mean, can I just say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm rather grateful and thankful that God doesn't smite me every time I sin. I may be the only one. But thank God for his kindness. Thank God for his mercy. So despite God's repeated acts of mercy toward these Philistines, 
They remained hostile and arrogant and defiant. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 16 or so, where, where, where God describes this scene when he has let natural disasters come upon certain people in the hope that they might turn to him and have their eternal life secure. And I heard a brilliant thing this morning where uh, it, was, and it was this. We sometimes, and it was a chaplain who said this, we, we, we sometimes think we live in the land of the living and beyond this life we go to the land of the dead. And he flipped it and he said, that is not true. The Bible makes it pretty clear. We are right now in the land of the dying. And if you know Christ, we, you will go to the land of the living. And it just flips the whole, where do we put our value? Is it in this life or is it in the life to come? And when you realise that a little bit of pain now for our good could be eternal good, you can see why God allows sometimes suffering to come into our life. Some of the sweetest people I've met have been people who've suffered horribly and have become really sweet. I've actually got someone in mind that I want to talk about in just a moment. So Jeremiah in this passage is not threatening the Philistines. This is not an angry Jeremiah. This is not a Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord, I'm really ticked with you. And because I'm really ticked with you, you better watch out because I just might imprecatorily smite you. He doesn't say that. That's not his heart here. He's actually after their redemption, their reconciliation. He's not threatening them with further trouble, he's warning them of its certainty. That, can I tell you, is grace. Kind of reminds me of when the Tasman Bridge went down over the Derwent, um, or was it in the 70s? And there were, there were guys who got out of their car when that ship hit it, and, and they got out and they're waving to the traffic, oncoming traffic, stop, the bridge is down. That's love. That's grace. That's kindness. And many people ignored the pleas of these people who got out of the car, pleading with people, stop! And they went to their death. But can you imagine not doing that? Can you imagine getting out of your car going, oh, they're probably not going to listen to me anyway. That's not love. And so Jeremiah, I think, is showing tremendous love by warning the Philistines. And here's verse 2, thus says the Lord... And here's our text. Behold, waters are rising out of the north, and they shall become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. Men shall cry out, and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. Next verse. At the noise of the stamping of the hoofs of his stallions, at the rushing of his chariots, at the rumbling of their wheels, the fathers look not back. To their children, so feeble are their hands. Oh man, I cannot. You know, here we are. Russell was sharing over the offering that 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 a mother was prepared to surrender her own life to save her two-day and two-year-old child, and here we have Jeremiah painting a picture that parents will abandon their natural affections of protection for their children. Such will be the predicament that they're about to face. This is a bleak time. Next verse, because of the day that is coming to destroy. All the Philistines to cut off from Tyre and Sidon, every helper. These were the other surrounding nations uh, that remains. For the Lord is destroying the Philistines, the remnant of the coastland of Kaftor. 
So here you have this history of the Philistines coming to an end, and Jeremiah prophesies it, and it certainly did, around about the time that Nebuchadnezzar came in and actually destroyed Egypt along with the company of people that Jeremiah was with, and quite possibly Jeremiah as well died in this, this surge of the Babylonians coming in. The Philistines would be no more from this point. And here we have this history of the Philistines who had fought against God all their life coming to an end. And here's what I just reflect on. Whenever I see anyone fighting against God, I know who's going to win. I know who's going to win. And my prayer is that whenever someone fights against God, they will surrender to him rather than be defeated by him. If there's a difference. But I think you get my difference. So Jeremiah is saying all this out of compassion for the Philistines. You know what? Things aren't going so hunky-dory for him at this point either. He's got a lot on his plate. He's got a lot on his mind. He's prophesying these things that may well be the end of his life as well. He's a little, there's, there's stuff going on. And this is what I find remarkable, and this is what I find challenging, that the mature person can be going through incredible difficulty, but still have time and compassion for others. That's a lesson for me. And here's Jeremiah. In all his difficulties, he's thinking of others. You know, it's really hard to hear others when you're going through stuff. They can tell you about their problems, and it's like, mm, oh, yeah, well, that's, oh, that's really bad. All the while thinking, get over it without realising for them, this is a really big deal. But because we're so caught up in what we're going through, we don't always hear them. And here's Jeremiah, a phenomenal heart of compassion. Can I say at this point, I think Jeremiah is showing tremendous Christ-likeness. And this is where I want to sort of bring it to a close. I, I've referred to the last couple of verses. I don't want to Read them right now, but you'll see in there, Jeremiah's heart is compassion toward these people. In Matthew 5, 43 and 44, I think Jeremiah epitomizes this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this is what Jeremiah is doing. How someone regards their enemy, the one who gives them Grief indicates whether they are following Christ or not. Louis Zamperin. Anyone ever heard of Louis Zamperin? Angeline Jolie made a movie about Louis Zamperin in 2014 called Unbroken. And it's the story of a young man who gives his life to Christ, runs for the Olympic athletics team for the United States competes in Germany shakes the hand of Adolf Hitler as he receives his medal <laughs> then is conscripted into the army or enlists in the army or whatever and is, is, is uh, in the air force and gets hit and is caught in the, the waters near Singapore and is taken captive by the Japanese and is brutally mistreated for three years or so by the Japanese in a prison of war camp. And the story goes on, and it's very moving because at the, at the end of it, 
he, he shows tremendous compassion toward the main protagonist who beat him up because of what Christ had done in Lewis Zamperin's heart. Um, what's the other one? Railway man? Is that the other one? It's the same sort of story. He shows tremendous forgiveness and in his forgiveness toward his abuser, he himself finds the peace that he longed for. This is putting into practice what Christ taught and Christ teaches us to think and feel differently about those who don't know Christ and may end up giving us problems. Colossians 3.13 says this, and then I'm done. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And I see that New Testament teaching in Jeremiah, and I am in awe. <laughs> Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our response to our enemies indicates whether we are following Christ. More from Dr. Corbett next week with Works and Treasures. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Waters Rising Out of the North, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media. PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.